I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, a podcast where we pick an obscure topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty so that you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Paul Lind. Who is Paul Lind? Well, he's the 1970s comedy icon, most widely known for his turn as Uncle Arthur on Bewitched. Or for his time at the center square of the aptly titled Hollywood Squares. However, Lynn's backstory is one of self-loathing. Self-loathing. However, Lynn's backstory is one of self-loathing, repressed sexuality, alcohol, and quite possibly murder. Murder. dreams coming true, more often than not, doesn't cure you. Paul Edward Lind was born on June 13, 1926, in Mount Vernon, Ohio. He was born to Sylvia Bell and Hoy Corridan Lind. Hoy Corridan Lind, as a fucking name. Hoy served as the county sheriff for four years before moving on and becoming a small business owner. His parents owned and operated a meat market eventually. Young Paul had six siblings. He was the fifth youngest. A distinction that no doubt was behind some of his need for attention and acting impulses. As a young boy, Paul's appendix burst, causing him to be bedridden for an entire year. His mother, being a good old-fashioned Midwesterner, fed him loads and loads of food. Over that year, Paul gained over 100 pounds. When he entered high school, he weighed close to 240 pounds. Because of his shame surrounding his weight, Paul began to act out and basically used his sense of humor as a shield. He attempted to slot himself into the high school archetype of that hilarious fat kid. During this time, Lind also became obsessed with movies. He would go to the movies sometimes multiple times a day on weekends. He was said to talk constantly about how he was going to be rich and famous and how everyone was going to love him after he got into the movies. He was so concerned with being perceived as being wealthy that he would take long walks over to the rich side of Mount Vernon, where he would just stand out in front of various houses, waving as cars went by, acting like he lived there, which is fucking psychopathic. Like, yeah, that's, I mean, who, who does that? What are you, what are you getting out of that? Yeah, I, I kind of love it as like a character detail, but as someone who I would be friends with, I'd be like, this is it. No, yeah. sorry. Mm-mm. There's, there's something deeply wrong. Yep. Which honestly is, I feel like it's pretty self-evident what's deeply wrong. Yeah. But we'll get there. When he was confronted by someone, he would just say it was a joke. But honestly, it's much more pathetic than humorous. Damn, that's, man, when I was writing this script, I was just like, (laughs) shots fired. Fuck you, Paul Lind. (laughs) He began to act in high school plays. He was never given the leading roles due to his weight. After school, he would work with his father in their butcher shop, and he was ashamed of his father's profession. And whenever someone would refer to his father, he would mm, cattle. I don't think that. Yeah, I, I thought that was. I thought I, I was. I was wondering what this meant because I was like, that's, "What is that's wrong? What is he, the distinction here?" He he referred to him as like a cattle artisan or something. Oh, it's not like, cattle butcher. Don't call my father a butcher. He's a cattle butcher. No, it's... I'm embarrassed because I like specificity. (laughs) Cattle surgeon. Ah, the uh, sandwich artist of the butcher (laughs) industry. Yeah, the butcher industry, yeah. Cattle surgeon. Sure thing, Paul. Get off my lawn. (laughs) Yeah. 
At the age of 21, young Paul Lind endured a personality-defining tragedy. His brother, Cordy, his favorite relative and the only person that he actually felt close to, was killed during the Battle of the Bulge during World War II. This sent him spiraling into a depression. And, as if that wasn't enough, days after the funeral, Paul's father, Hoy, died of heart failure. That's fucking insane. That sucks. Yeah. You're like, oh, my brother died. Oh, shit, my dad died, too, over the course of a week? Jesus. And, like, literally a day after the funeral. So brutal. Like, there's some doctor who who created this sort of scale of, like, a human being can only experience so many... um, high stress tragedies in their lives before it just literally kills them. And he defined like what these different types of tragedies are that would affect you and basically quantify that like you can basically only experience like five of these and you would just die. And uh, he just experienced two of them in a, in In a a day. Yeah. In a day. Yeah. Oof. That's so dark. Upon moving back to New York, Paul Lynn started rooming with Marlon Brando and a few other aspiring actors. However, Paul was so poor that he would routinely steal food from his roommates to survive. He worked odd jobs during this time period. A little table waiting Leave here. Leave the gun. Steal the, the cannoli. cannoli. Yeah, it's pretty wild to think about him being roommates with Marlon Brando, right? Like, especially because Brando during this time period. I could have been full <laughs> from the food. Well, the thing that's fascinating <laughs> to me about this is like Marlon Brando was bisexual. Paul Lind was obviously very gay. Yeah. They were roommates together. What are the odds that Marlon Brando and Paul Lind hooked up? Pretty high. Maybe not. I don't know if they're pretty high, but it's it's interesting to think well, about. I, I think the, the, re, the reason I say pretty high is because during this time, number one, I think something about, uh, you know, the, the gay community that has persisted now, even when it's sort of been largely or it's it's. It's been largely de-stigmatized. Um, there's just fewer. There's fewer uh, people in the LG, LGBTQ community. Uh, so by virtue of that, I mean you hear a lot of uh, you hear a lot of uh, LGBTQ people talking about how they just have fewer options. So they have to be, you know, they they can't uh, subject themselves to the same kind of rules that straight people do. Where it's just like you know, a lot of times with like in like straight with straight people, it's like oh like. I dated this person and we broke up and like, it would be, it would be, uh, it would be disrespectful if like my friend like went and dated them and they're just like, we don't have that luxury. Like we have to, like, yeah, you have such a small community of, of friends. So there was that, uh, at this time there was, you know, obviously, um, rampant, um, uh, homophobia that that just was, um, systemic in society. And so, you know, a lot of these interactions were clandestine and never spoken about. So, you know, the fact the fact that they live within close close proximity, they were in the same circle of friends. Um, there was especially at the time with how stigma, stigma stigmatized it was, there was, you know, probably very few options for them to um, exercise these feelings um, and also just the extreme uh, shame of it. Uh, would cause them to just never tell a soul that this ever happened. Uh, I don't know, something about, it just feels like it was likely to have happened. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely some something I would not have ever thought about before. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Paul Lind fan, but prior to this research, never in a million years would I have believed that Paul Lind and Marlon Brando, A, were roommates, and B, might have hooked up. I wish I knew how to quit you. <laughs> 
Forgive them, my son. They know not what they do, except I can't. What's the line from from Superman? I forgot. It. No, <laughs> something about Superman, my child. Not what they wish to be, what they are. Something. You show them the way. I got nothing. I don't know how to do it no more. So we're smiling, Brando. <laughs> that's. I think that's actually pretty good. I, I'm actually floored by that. I what? What is the line from Superman? Where he's like. Uh, Kal-El, my son, you're something, 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 but what they wish to be. I don't know. Let's fuck. Paulin, let's, listen, Paulin, I just, he was my roommate. He would always steal my cannolis and then would, (laughs) (laughs) he would always just go into the fridge and just eat all my food. (laughs) Paulin, hell of a guy. That Paul. Pollen. I don't know why you're saying that's bad. That's like that's pretty solid. Thanks. <laughs> I, I literally didn't even know that I could do this until right this minute. Pollen. He just he's a hell of a guy. Maybe he murdered someone. Who knows? Anyway, let's go back to this. <laughs> uh Paul was so poor that he would routinely steal food from his roommates to survive. He worked odd jobs during this time period. A little table waiting here, a little janitorial work there. Money was tight. He was a wreck. His support structure was gone. His emotions were running rampant. Despite not having any money, Lind developed a nasty drinking habit. During this time period, people would often tell him, you just need to meet a nice young lady. They would often say that he had a girlfriend and that she lived in another state. No one ever met her because Paul Lind was secretly gay. Spoiler alert, Paul Lind, very gay. Lind realized that if he ever wanted to be successful, he needed to lose weight. Over the course of the next two years, through strict dietary restrictions and working out, he lost over 100 pounds. A couple years later, he appeared in an off-Broadway play and did stand-up around the city. However, nothing really took for him. Lind got lucky break, though. He landed a spot in New Faces of 1952. It was a comedy review that featured a wide-ranging cast of performers. The future stars that were included in the lineup were Eartha Kitt. Alice Ghostly, and Carol Lawrence. Honestly, I would watch a show that starred Eartha Kitt and Paul Lind, like together, doing something. Whatever the fuck they want to do. Better get started on that time machine. Yeah, no shit, because they're both super mega ultra dead. Spoiler alert. In the show, Lind performed a story that he wrote entitled The Trip of the Month Club. A man and his wife were taken on an African safari. He did so while wearing bandages and utilizing crutches. The, uh... Have you ever seen this clip, the Trip of the Month Club? I have not. They it, they used to use it on a bunch of old late night shows for some reason. I th- I don't know if he did it after this New Faces of 1952, but for some reason I've I'd seen it a bunch of times growing up. It's basically like catty Paul Lind remarks of like, my wife and I went on a safari and she broke her heel on her pump. So we left her on the mountainside for the alligators to eat. Like it's it's that yeah. for like five minutes, um, and it's it's interesting how far comedy has evolved since then. Because like saying that you abandoned your wife on the African jungle, whoa, so crazy. And also like his devote his kind of everything he says sounds like acerbic and and very venomous. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it's interesting too because like I mean obviously that style of comedy was popular. It wasn't just isolated to him you, have, yeah. you know you have like Rodney Dangerfield and yeah. just a lot of that but like I wonder if I wonder if any of that like the comedy of like contempt towards women was some externalization of his like sexual identity and his frustrations with 
with uh, coming to terms with it and also not being able to express it. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I think I think that's probably part of it. But I think there's also like a very he was like a super smart dude. So part of that is like I bet that he one he was really kind of anal retentive and didn't like people touching his things and just didn't have many long term partners at all. Like he kind of had many partners that would kind of come and go because I think he didn't get along with people too well because he had stuff to work on on the inside, you know. And uh, I think that, like, I hate everybody does come from what you're talking about. But I think it also, there's, like, a shrewd businessman part of him that's, like, these straight men hate their wives. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm going to cater to them or whatever. Also, apologies to whoever's listening to this because there's going to be a lot of Paul Lind impressions <laughs> during the course of this video or this episode. Um. The acerbic and contemptuous comedy routine is a takedown of his former partner through the lens of a man who is beleaguered and beaten down by life. The anger and acidity in this comedy routine feels honest. Even though it's elevated and cartoonish in its execution, it feels driven by a real anger with real pain, which is why it connected with audiences. The review went on to be turned into a film in which Lind was the standout star. However, this is where things take a turn for the worse for Paul Lind. No, that wasn't my stomach growling. Oh, that was? Yeah. I, I thought that was you, like, messing with the table or something. No, like that. that was my stomach going, mm, Davey's hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Feed me, Davey. Feed me, Davey. Suddenly, Davey. I just, uh, I just, uh, Dave always goes in my refrigerator. It's always giving, so it's giving taking food out of my refrigerator. <laughs> it's kind of evolving now. He's moving past... Brando into something else. That reminds me of uh, in the Felix the Cat movie, which maybe we should do an episode on that. Yeah. Some like Iranian company just got the rights to Felix the Cat and made that movie. And so there's a lot of weird shit where you could tell that they just like covered up weird shit in the original movie with just like whatever they could think of to just patch little inconsistencies. And there's, for some reason, this dragon monster that's just in the movie that, like, at some point they're traveling through this swamp and then they accidentally awaken this dragon and he chases them. And for some reason, the dragon, is the the voice actor, is, like, doing a Marlon Brando impression and then just all of his lines are just Marlon Brando quotes. <laughs> what the fuck? That's amazing. I don't I don't know if I've ever seen that movie, the Felix the Cat movie. That's so I, good. I loved the movie when I was a kid and I and I rewatched it a handful of years ago and I love it and I loved it because it it, it kind of has that bone quality mm. where it's like the Felix the Cat characters but just in this like Ralph Bashki-esque sci-fi world mm-hmm. and like the the mismatching of the artistic styles of like the cutesy 1940s Felix the Cat character models standing next to these human Ralph Bashki characters that are twice as tall as them. It's I just, love it. It's just a really, Super I loved weird. it then. And, and watching it again, I still love it, but it's also, it's so fucking strange. It's a, it's a bizarre movie. <laughs> However, this is where things took a turn for the worse for Lind. He failed to get any more work off the back of the film, and he slid into his old eating habits. He gained weight, drank more, and contemplated suicide. Reports of, Lind, reports of Lind being a vicious drunk would boil up from time to time throughout the acting community. His capricious tongue was almost as bad as the fact that he supposedly was physically aggressive, pushing people and manhandling anyone he knew. 
His capricious tongue was almost as bad as the fact that he was supposedly physically aggressive, pushing people and manhandling anyone near him. Finally, he realized if he didn't get any help, he was going to do something that wasn't going to be reversible. So, he went to see a psychiatrist. He credited her multiple times with saving his life. And this is when his real big break came. He was cast in the play Bye Bye Birdie. It all took off for him. He appeared in the Perry Cuomo show, The Munsters, Gidget, I Dream of Jeannie, F Troop, and Bewitched. Also, Uncle Arthur on Bewitched was my shit. Same. Also, I need to make a confession. I did not get, until I was researching this episode, I did not understand that I Dream of Jeannie was a joke pun. I didn't understand that her name was spelled J-E-A. Oh, yeah, yeah. The show, the title of the show is J-E-A-N-N-I-E. Yes. I literally thought it was just Jeannie like the other, like a, like a G Jeannie. And it blew my mind. <laughs> Because I've I've seen every episode of that show. Yeah. Like I loved I Dream of Genie as a kid, and it is insane to me that it's a pun title. Yeah, I mean I knew that I is I, I'm like in the middle because I definitely knew that the spelling of it, but I don't think I ever intellectualized the fact that it was a pun. Yeah. Well, welcome to my world, motherfucker. I Dream of Genie is a pun. By 1965, Lind was a stalwart comedy actor, but his turn as Uncle Arthur on Bewitch catapulted him to a new level of fame. Paul purchased a fabulous new home that once belonged to Errol Flynn and would go on extravagant trips in between shooting schedules. And it was on one of these trips that the focus of our episode fixes. In 1965, Paul Lind and his 24-year-old friend, James Bing Davidson, took a trip to San Francisco. They stayed at the Sir Francis Drake Hotel. There are multiple accounts of what happened, but the only facts that are completely verifiable are that Bing fell from the eighth floor through an open window to his death. Was Paul Lind responsible for Davidson's death? Was there an altercation? Was there foul play at hand? The story that many of Lind's friends would tell later is that Lind, in an irate rage, pushed the young would-be actor James Bing Davidson out of the window where he fell to his death. However, the chain of events appears to be something like the following. Lind, 39 at the time, and Davidson, 24, arrived at the hotel around 6 p.m. They fairly quickly left their suite to go bar hopping. They returned to the hotel around 2.30 in the morning. Lind went up to their room while Davidson stayed in the lobby. After about 15 minutes, a security guard was asked to escort a visibly intoxicated and overly loud Davidson up to his room because he was disturbing other customers. From here, the story goes that Davidson said, Watch what I can do. Let me show you a trick. Headed to a window and climbed out, hanging by his hands. Within a few short seconds, he started to slip. Help me! Help me! He cried. Lind rushed to his side, grabbing one of his wrists. Davidson, attempting to get a leg up, shifted his weight to one side, and the 180 pounds proved to be too much for Lind, who lost his grip, sending Davidson eight stories down to his death. After the two men struggled, a small crowd formed on the street, calling the attention of two police officers, Richard Fanlison and Charles Warren. After Davidson fell, the two men sprinted into the hotel, made their way to Lynn's room, and discovered him sitting on his bed, dazed and still partially drunk. Before they could ask him anything, he turned to them and said, He weighs about 180 pounds. It was too much for me. I told him to grab my neck, but he slipped away. Because, of course... He always spoke like that, and that wasn't just a. <laughs> it wasn't just that an was affectation. Just, that yeah. wasn't just an exaggerated uh, onstage persona. Um, the coroner conducted an investigation based on the testimony of bystanders, hotel staff, and the two previously mentioned police officers. It was ruled that the incident was an accidental death, and that Davison's heavy drinking was the chief culprit. <laughs> 
Act 2, The Infinite Void of Paul Lim's Weird Front Teeth, which is a really good title for something. Yeah. I feel like uh, whenever we have a Dead Boy Detectives EP, it should be called The Infinite Void of Paul Lim's Weird Front Teeth. 100%. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But all the songs are written... Um, are written by Paul, or they're written from Paul Lynn's perspective, and we have to sing them in a Paul Lynn impersonation. <laughs> Paul Lynn's career continued to skyrocket. Despite the rumors of murder, he was a money-making machine. Eventually, he was cast in the popular show, Hollywood Scares. Hollywood Scares? I would watch that fucking show. Yeah. He became a breakout hit for the show. Initially, his off-the-cuff, raunchy remarks made him an audience favorite. But as the show went on, there was an expectation that he would need to be on-the-spot hilarious. He insisted that the Hollywood Squares hire a team of joke writers for him. He refused to improvise. He wanted only the funniest zingers. The idea of, like, improvising... He was the Drake of the Hollywood Squares. It's very hard for me to tolerate that. I know that he uses ghost writers, but it still bums me out. I want to believe that our boy Aubrey is not a Tony Wong, but he's definitely a Tony Wong. I want to believe. Yeah, I I love the idea, though, that, like, you work your entire life honing this skill to be really funny. You ascend through the upper echelon of the Hollywood elite. You think it's going to cure your inner turmoil, and it just doesn't. Yeah. And the thing that you purportedly have as your trade and craft, that also isn't enough for you. Like, there's never... Like an upper ceiling where you're just like, fuck yeah, I'm doing it. I'm funny. I feel good. People like me. I'm really doing this. There's just like like the title of this chapter, The Infinite Void of Paul Lynn's Weird Front Teeth. It's just never enough. I feel like it might be one of the most destructive things to do for one's mental health to um, have extreme uh, unaddressed um, traumas and uh, mental health issues. And then to pursue and achieve a massive amount of fame uh, because, number one, the idea that that is going to, like, fill that hole that you have is just a total fallacy. And number two, it kind of does the opposite where instead of filling the hole, it creates a sort of suit of armor around it uh, and makes it where you just, you know, go on living your life. Uh, sort of uh, not addressing that, keeping it buried deep inside of you, and then just wearing this suit of armor around it to protect it uh, as it just continues to get worse and worse underneath. Uh, so not only does it exacerbate the, the, the problem over time and, and just kind of serve the opposite purpose of what you wanted it to do, but I feel like that paired with the profound level of disappointment that one experiences when they sort of get that and then just realize like, oh, this doesn't, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. That just must really fucks with somebody. I mean, it definitely does. I mean, you see it over and over and over again of these people that think that external validation is going to solve whatever interior, you know, cacophony of sleepless nights there is. And it, it just doesn't work that way. That being said, there is a whole level of person that becomes unlocked when you become affluent. Like it, it, you, you get a whole new level of problems when you just have access to whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. That being said, I'm down to have those problems. There's no way they're worse than the problems I got now. Let's do it. You want to give me a million dollars? Mo money, mo uh, waking up in the middle of the night, tied up on your bed as somebody just eats 
fudge sickles in front of you and then leaves, which is a thing that happened to Nicolas Cage once. Really? Yeah. He said he just woke up, an intruder had broken into his house. They didn't steal anything. They didn't hurt him. They just made him watch them eat a fudge sickle and then left. Damn. You know who was obsessed with fudge sickles? Orson Welles. Oh, yeah. He was like addicted to them towards the end of his life. He was. R.I.P. 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 His alcoholic behavior became too much for most of his inner circle of friends to handle. People started retreating from his social sphere. He sensed this and then started drinking even more, which only made things even worse. His downward spiral took more and more toll on his life. He became a very dark and tormented person. The public story is that he became tired of the Hollywood squares and walked away. However, it's quite possible that he was just a huge asshole and they were trying to get him to leave by refusing to pay him more when he asked for it. He was gone for a short period of time, but then the ratings started to dip and the network approached him to return. They paid him exactly what he asked for and he rejoined the Hollywood squares. However, the show was soon canceled. He also got top billing. I think it was like when he came back, it was like the Hollywood squares with whatever the host's name was and... Paul Lind. In 1979, Lind's longtime best friend, his dog, Harry McAfee, which was named after Harry McAfee is the name of the character from Bye Bye Birdie that he played. So he named the dog Harry McAfee. The dog passes away, and then he gets so distraught by the fact that his one kind of like baggageless relationship of this dog dying that he can't live in Errol Flynn's old house anymore. And so he buys a new house. There's something about uh, eccentric, gay, famous people that they just develop deep relationships with their dogs. You have like, um, you have, uh, uh, what the fuck is his name? I'm just blanking on his name. Liberace. Uh, yeah. Well, him. Richard Simmons. Where like he had a similar thing where like he had these dogs and they passed away and it like deeply affected him to where he like went into seclusion and just like became like a hermit and just wouldn't contact the outside world because he was so distraught about his dogs. Man, that's just, it's a, it's. I mean, I think it's probably just like you, especially from that era, you're you're constantly malnourished in the love department, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And then there is something that just loves you unconditionally and yeah. it, that becomes its own kind of drug. A dog can't be homophobic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Upon moving into his new home, Lind threw a massive party for all his Hollywood friends. But in true neurotic Paul Lind fashion, wouldn't let anyone actually go inside the house. He forced everyone to eat lunch in the backyard, like you were saying with, you know, eccentric gay dudes. I love it so much. Yeah. So good. Soon after, Lind made a big show of becoming sober, saying the alcohol and drugs were weighing him down. On January 11th, 1982, his friend Paul Baresi began to worry about Lind. He had missed a birthday party the night before. After both he and a mutual friend, Dean Detman, called Lind repeatedly to no answer, they decided to go over to his house and pay a visit. They received no answer after knocking on the door and repeatedly calling again. So Baresi broke a window, only to discover that Lind was dead in his bed. He was only 55 years old. Conspiracy theories surrounding the passing said that he had AIDS or that he was secretly killed or that he killed himself. There's also another conspiracy theory that posits that a man was in the room when he died and cleaned everything up. However, a coroner ruled this out due to his death being a heart attack. Who's out there coming up with Paul Lind conspiracy theories? I think at a certain point in time, man, he was real, real popular. These days, I feel like it's me. I'm the only one who gives a shit about Paul Lind. But at a certain point, he was very... You know, very, very beloved. It's also funny, too, that, like, his the cause of death is listed as heart attack because that's, like, the thing they always say whenever a celebrity has a drug overdose yeah. or, like, like that's what they listed as Brittany Murphy's thing. And I think also Mac Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Baresi claims that he thinks that somebody else was in the room, um, but there's a bunch of stuff about how, like, when he broke into the house, the alarms went off. So if the person was with Paul in, they would have had to known to set the alarms again before leaving, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't think is um, a, 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 a theory that holds holds water. Um, it's interesting. I don't know. It, it, it's sad that he died in this kind of weird, mysterious, fucked up way. Or he just had a fucking heart attack at 55, which I guess you could do. Yeah, especially whenever your family has a history. His yep. dad died of heart attack. Also, he was a heavy drinker. Yep. Did drugs, I'm assuming. Yep, absolutely, yeah. Act three, Paulin's impact. Yeah, I mean, I feel like some of these things are that we, you know, these kind of like ending points we've kind of already touched on, but I just want to drill down into them a little bit. And I also wanted to talk about Paul Lin's Halloween special. Uh, I sent that to you a while ago. Did you ever actually watch it? I watched it, yeah. Oh, man. So if you haven't seen it, go on Amazon Prime. It's a Paul Lin Halloween special. Paul Lin gets kidnapped by two witches and hosts a variety show inside their house. It's fucking awesome. And one of... I need to. I, I one, of, one of the witches one of the, it's, is it's the, the witch. actual wicked witch. Witch yeah, of the West. Yeah, it actually from is the Wizard of Oz. Yes, it absolutely and is. And they make like they make like non copyright infringing repre- references to it. Yeah, and she she wears green face paint at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so cool. I uh, there's also like a really long extended kiss musical. Yeah, there's so many. Sequence. There's so many kiss biz- the band. Yeah, there's so many bizarre aspects to it. Like so, talk about closeted gay man you know struggling with his sexuality in a time when uh, it was not socially acceptable to uh be that way uh several of the sketches in the show are just like i'm not gay yeah there's one of them where he like gets i'm not gay yeah there's one of them where he like is chasing this girl and he's like you're so pretty you wanna go on a date with me some of these sketches i mean i i know that 70s sketch comedy and variety comedy sort of had a it was it was it was a very kind of like over the top garish style of comedy but some of these like sketches in this thing are just like like what what drug were you not on when you wrote this yeah yeah there's like the the rhinestone trucker dude the rhinestone trucker might be my favorite that shit is fucking insane it's that is one so of the good. most bizarre things that you could ever see what is it again so it's it's paul lind is a character named the rhinestone trucker who's a long distance trucker who wears rhinestone cowboy outfits right yes and, and he, he goes into a like a he's driving on the on the highway and then he uh starts talking to uh on a ham ra- or a cb radio he starts talking to tim conway's character yeah yeah and yeah. then like he tricks him into dying like he tricks him into getting into a car crash and exploding and then a different trucker that's also played by tim conway comes by and then they both are like i'm we're getting married tonight at midnight and then they slowly realize that they're both getting married to the same woman so then they race to get to her first to be the first to get there to marry her. And then they end up getting into this like battle of wills to like see who can be the one to marry her. So they're like testing their strength and their and it's it's the whole thing is just like, I'm not gay. I like marrying women. Marrying a woman is what I've always wanted to do. 
it's, it's it's so great. It's, and he's wearing a fucking it's it's pink, right? Or is it white? It's white. It's a white rhinestone cowboy outfit. It's so fucking good. I also like how the uh I need to find out the the real name of this actress. Um this 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 actress in this thing her like I, I can't remember what her 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 name was, but like it was like starring such and such Pinky Tuscadero. Oh yeah, last name. Yeah, and yeah. it's like the the Pinky Tuscadero, which is like a character from Happy Days and yeah, Laverne and, she, and Shirley. And she plays that character in. And she, yeah, she plays the character in the show, and it was like I don't know if it was just because she was playing the character or if it was just like I mean you don't know who the fuck this lady is unless we tell you that it's this character from Happy Days. It took me when I first watched <laughs> it. It took me a few minutes to realize who that character was. At first, I thought it was like, oh, they're just doing this sketch with this character. Why is everyone making such a big deal out of this character? Oh, oh, this character is like a previously existing character. And then I had to look it up. Yeah, she was like, she was like, uh, she was like the the female Fonzie that was like his like protracted will they won't they love interest character. I love it. And it's so funny how how various aspects of it were intended to obviously be timely and really you know strike the cultural zeitgeist of 1973 or whenever the fuck it came out and how it's so far removed from anything that is culturally relevant that it almost feels like an alien show like you watch it and you're like if i didn't know who kiss was like if they didn't have a present still this would be the most batshit crazy thing ever yeah because it's like just like these demons with face paint it's and also like, that whole thing is like the 1970s equivalent of hello fellow kids yeah it really like, is we gotta get the most popular musical acts on the show who's the most popular musician nowadays what <laughs> This is what the kids are listening to. It's demons. Just I, actual demons. I hate this. Like at one point, Gene Simmons like spits fire. Yeah. And it's it's like they're just playing a show. Just playing a goddamn show. And honestly, it goes on for too long. I think they play like three songs in the in the episode. And there's a point where you're just like, fuck, get off the stage. It's also just they 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 play they play Detroit Rock City and Beth. But they play them to tape, so it, they're just lip syncing to the album version of the song. Yeah. So they're just like these weird, like they're not live performances. They're just like music videos that yeah. happen where they're the, pretending to be live. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. If I ever make anything half as cool as this, I'll die happy. It's just so bizarre. Like I just I wanted to be. I mean, the modern day equivalent of this is like doing like the the Dave Baker Halloween special, and then you just have like ghost or like sun o just some really weird doom metal band like that just completely clashes with the tone of the rest of the thing or make the thing a like really hardcore horror comedy where there's just like splatter punky gore everywhere and then have like miley cyrus or i guess she's more aggressive now but like you know a disney channel yeah star as the musical guest that's what i would want like i would want it to be just like all right and now introducing Dove Cameron. <laughs> It'd be so good. It'd be so good. Yeah, the the kiss, the kiss, uh, a cameo or or guest appearance or whatever is so strange. In the, and it is totally just like we got to get the the hot thing right now. 
to make I'm this more relevant. I'm surprised there weren't like pet rocks in it. Like it feels <laughs> so 1970, whatever year it came out in that like, and it's just so pandering and so kind of like really leaning into the fact that like, you love Paul Lind from other things. See him be Paul Lind. See him do some of the most abstract bullshit that has ever happened in the world of sketch comedy. Like I love, I love the fact that it's, it's like Paul Lind kind of being kidnapped by these two women and being forced to do this thing, but also not really. Like there isn't a full through line narrative to the show. But there kind of is. If it's like the first draft of the show. Yeah, there's 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 a specific part that feels so like, oh, fuck it, this is what it is. We'll we'll rewrite this and later, and then they just didn't rewrite it. Where like they're trying to figure out a way to transition to the next sketch from the interstitial of like him talking to the witches, and he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, uh, I wish I I I, I wish. Uh, what does he say? How does he say? He's like, he's like, I wish I could be stranded on a desert island rather than be here with you. Like just as an insult. And he's like, wait a minute. Does that count as a real wish? Cause they're like grant him wishes. Yeah. And they're like, yep. And he's like, oh no. And they're like, and then he's like, wait, can I at least be like a rich chic? And they're like, okay. And then they zap him. And then it just cuts to the sketch, which is him just like as a chic in the desert. And it was like such a, it's Such so a- <laughs> hacky. It's so hacky. Yeah, I love the. I love the fact that and you the- can you can feel the you can feel the seam where the writers are just like, how the fuck do we get from here to here? Yep. Uh, fuck it. That. That's not even writers. That's writer. Well, like, that's, I just mean that's one person being like, I don't know. It's this, and everyone else just not wanting. The idea is so bad that no one wants to touch it. And it's so radioactive through the whole process of shooting that it made it all the way to screen. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love the energy of it, too, where, like, most of the sketches aren't really funny. They're, like, almost funny. Yeah. But also there's always something, like, really weirdly unsaid, like, oh, yeah, it's Paul Lynn dressed as a chic. Like, the whole time for that sketch, I was just like, is this a... This is like really weird and offensive, right? Like, why are they doing this? And then the next one where he's the fucking rhinestone trucker. And I'm just like, so it's going to end with him like marrying a dude, right? No, they're still saying he's straight. Really? It doesn't, it doesn't even feel like they're poking fun at the fact like that they are saying he's straight. It feels like they're actually saying he's straight. Yeah. It's so good. They are. Uh, speaking of the offensive chic thing, um, do you think that, uh, I mean, obviously there's so many people in history that are like this. This isn't like some rare thing. But do you think that Paul Lind is somebody who like if he had just existed later, he he would like he would not have survived like the era of Me Too? Interesting. You mean specifically because of his like abusive alcoholism? Abusive alcoholism and just things that were like sort of it's like I feel like back in back in those times, like in the you know, in the old, old world Hollywood, like from the early 1900s all the way through the the 70s and, and even in the 80s, 90s and 2000s. But like that was I, I feel like in the 70s was where things started to become a little bit more progressive. But back then it was just like when you were just like a violent, abusive piece of shit, it was just like that's just him. Like it was like it was just part of your personality of just like he's just like that. And but he's great. And it, it it feels like Paul Lynn kind of had that reputation. Yeah, I think so, absolutely. 
I mean, I think it's a combination of, I think it's a combination of his, in air quotes, power and quick wit. Like, I'm sure he made people feel really shitty and they didn't want to call him on anything because if he did, he'd, they'd make him feel shitty and shame them and a bunch of all, of all of their friends. Also, I think Holly was a lot smaller back then. So once you kind of like, in air quotes, get made and have any sort of money or power, like you just, you're in. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think he probably would have survived. Um, and I don't think he sh- necessarily should have. Like, I'm not saying that, I'm saying that's a good thing. Like, I, I, he was a dark person. Yeah. And I feel, I have very conflicted feelings about the amount of enjoyment and adoration I have for the work because it obviously comes from this very specific pointed negative space. Mm-hmm. But also... His vocal patterns are so amusing. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really interesting because uh, I mean, I th- I think that uh, and for a long time I thought and for a long time I thought he actually did murder Bing Johnson or right that's his last name Bing whatever Davidson should, Davidson Bing Davidson yeah um yeah I mean, I don't know because like the so the the two stories um the one of like the rumors about it about him having him having killed him and then the like other story about like how it happened they they both sound like a like made up story to like conceal what really happened like on both ends of the spectrum like the one about him having killed him that sounds like a rumor made up by a bunch of uh uh backbiting duplicitous um celebrities who start rumors about people and shit talk people behind their backs yeah uh but the uh the other story sounds like a like wildly uh it it sounds like somebody like going out of their way to justify how somebody didn't kill somebody like oh he just he said he was gonna hang out the window and then he lost his balance and then he tried to pull him up like it, it just, yeah it, it sounds like somebody's spinning like yeah. a, a a pr version of a story to get somebody out of jail time yeah so it's like it's I, yeah I don't yeah know. I, and i don't know which one to necessarily believe um the this i think though that there are more there's more evidence to the fact that he didn't kill Bing Davidson than that he did i don't know that he necessarily wasn't you know if there was some sort of argument or some sort of whatever involved but the the fact that like there were so many eyewitnesses that saw him trying to like pull him back into the hotel room um but yeah i don't i don't know i i don't i for this one i don't know if that there is a conclusive answer one way or another and it's everyone involved is dead so it's not like they're going to reopen the case yeah um but it definitely is fascinating to me like same thing with like william shatner's wife who drowned in the pool like there's all these kind of like celebrities who've had partners who've turned up dead and it's like did yeah. they really turn up dead like accidents happen but also like there seems to be something kind of negative about these people yeah i mean whether or not he did it or not whether it was an accident or or he killed him or not it's 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 really it's really fascinating how this seems to happen a lot with famous people um where i mean there's so many stories of celebrities who've just like killed people like not like premeditated murder but like kill people like in car accidents manslaughter accidents uh you know shady circumstances where the what happened is kind of a mystery uh you know like you know uh um, matthew broderick um the natalie wood thing this uh the ted kennedy thing um the caitlin jenner thing like all these examples of like celebrities who've just like fucking killed people and then just like got away with it. Like in terms of like they went to court and like were get were given a very light sentence or they 
sort of got off. Money, fame, and power. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously, obviously they, uh, they um, utilize their, their wealth to get out of real heavy consequences for these things. But like, why do these things don't happen so frequently with famous people? Or maybe it's not as frequent and it's just, it's just highlighted because they're famous. I don't know. I don't know either. It makes you wonder like what the amount of kind of like the statistical average of like, let's just say vehicular manslaughter. Like what is the average of vehicular manslaughter <coughs> per capita? And then how does that check against a ce- celebrities who've committed vehicular manslaughter, which is significant. Like, like you were saying, fucking Matthew Broderick killed somebody in Scotland because he was driving on the wrong side of the road and it was raining and he f- fucked up and killed two people. Now, I'm not saying like that. I mean, it was his his fault. Um, and I'm not saying that he should have gone to jail, gone to jail. I don't know the legal ramifications for vehicular manslaughter, but I feel like they're probably more than a night in jail, you know, a night in a holding facility and like a slap on the wrist. Like he killed two people. Yeah. I feel like if Matthew Broderick wasn't Ferris Bueller, that that probably wouldn't have happened. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it does feel like same thing with Caitlyn Jenner. She got off, you know, scot-free, if not, you know, barely, um, penalized. Yeah, I don't know. This has been Deep Cuts. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Please sub the show. You can find me at heydavebaker.com. And you can find me. Uh, fuck. I always have one locked and loaded. I couldn't think of one for this one. Uh, you can find dapricerights.com. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content.